You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And here's your host, Aram Layton. This is Locked On MLB Prospects, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a prospect writer and analyst, as well as the founder of JustBaseball.com. And in today's episode, we are going to talk a little bit about that wild Sunday uh, that we just had. Yesterday turned into what was an unassuming day to begin with, more focused on football and whatever was going on in that world. And a little bit of the rumor mill turned into an absolute domino effect of free agent signing so many moves and a lot of things to discuss there. Obviously, this is a prospect show, so I'm always going to cater it a bit more to prospects because I could talk for an hour about even more than that, several hours about all of the free agency moves we saw on Sunday. I did more of that on the Just Baseball show. You can go check that out uh, where we dive into the free agent moves. I'm still going to talk a little bit about that and what it could mean to some teams that uh, I think may be more likely or less likely to go out and make big trades uh, that relate to prospects, which teams are capable of putting together some big prospect returns uh, for big players, and some of the things that I'm hearing within the industry right now on what teams and what prospects could potentially be on the move. We also saw an Adam Frazier trade a couple days ago, and I want to talk about some of the prospects exchanged in that deal and kind of the whole situation there because it's bizarre. Not long ago, AJ Preller buys high on Adam Frazier right after he is selected to his first All-Star game and really gives up a decent return. I don't think it was anything crazy when you really look at it because they did acquire at the time what was a an All-Star second baseman, right? I think everybody knew that he was going to tail off a little bit. I don't think anybody knew that it would be as bad as it was because Frazier's numbers with the Pirates, 836 OPS, then with the Padres, 662 OPS and even struggled defensively. It just wasn't a good situation for him. He went from playing, no offense to Pirates fans, largely meaningless baseball to trying to fight and help a team that was really struggling stay alive in a difficult playoff race in the NL West, and he just didn't rise to the occasion there. The trade, if you remember, was one that, you know, I I did not really mind the return, even though I thought it was buying high on Adam Frazier. They didn't give up too much, did the Padres, but still, now that they make this subsequent trade with the Mariners, they sold for about 70 cents on the dollar. So they still did not get nearly the return that they gave up in order to go get somebody like Adam Frazier. So that return that they gave up to the Pirates uh, back in July, it was July 26th ahead of the deadline, the Pirates got Tukupita, Marcano, Jack Sawinski, and Mitchell Milano, which is not a headline package. It's nothing crazy, but Marcano is somebody that I think is going to be a similar to an Adam Frazier type. He did struggle in his stint in the big leagues with the Padres prior to the trade, but is still just 22 years old. I thought he was forced to the big leagues. He's somebody that I've seen, you know, higher grades on by some other, I guess, prospect outlets. I don't think he is anybody that is going to make a major impact. Still has 
a little bit more upside left in him. I still think he's really profiles as a super utility type. Doesn't really have much power to offer. I'd say probably 30 grade power, but does have an above average hit tool, uh, above average to plus speed and above average defense. So you're getting a 22 year old super utility guy that should be similar to Frazier prior to his breakout season with more years of control. That seems to make sense. Holds them over for now because he can play in the big leagues right now. So that was a trade that I think, you know, with that guy as the headliner, you're okay with that if you're the Padres. But this is also a Padre system that was very... I would say stripped over the last couple years with AJ Preller being the baseball equivalent or the GM equivalent of J.R. Smith. You're going to get some big time home runs. He's going to chuck some major crazy shots, but a lot of them are going to go down. He's going to miss a ton, but he's going to hit some big shots. And I think we saw that with Fernando Tatis. We've seen that with some other deals that he's made, but we've also seen him swing and miss. And so Preller is always going to be that kind of general manager. And I think this is an example here. He impulsively wanted to try to fight to keep this team alive and boost this team uh, when they were struggling. And really just trying to keep up with the rest of the NL West and stay alive in the wild card race in general. And they went out and got somebody, even though they knew it was buying a bit high. The guy that I was honestly, personally, a little bit less excited to part with if I were a Padres fan would be Jack Sawinski, because I actually think Sawinski is interesting. He has a lot of athleticism for a big dude, good raw power, and also has some pretty good defensive potential out there as somebody that could play, I think, all three outfield spots. Probably ends up in a corner uh, because he's 6'2", 220, uh, may slow down a little bit, but showed some good things. And, and I really like the offensive profile there. There's some swing and miss, but I don't think the swing and miss is going to be enough to hold him back from being a decent hitter. He had 19 home runs in 111 games last year. He walks a lot to offset that, stole a handful of bases as well. Well, 11 bags. So you have some interesting potential here with a guy that's probably going to be more of a 250 hitter, but he's going to walk a lot. He's athletic, can play, I think, both corners at an above average rate and play center field in a pinch. We saw the power tail off a little bit in Pittsburgh, but overall was still able to sustain pretty consistent walk rates and a strikeout rate that's palatable at about 28%. So Winsky's interesting. And I, I like the plus raw power. I like the athleticism. Still just just turned 23 years old. A former 15th round pick. So somebody that really emerged in this system and really put it together. I see big league upside and above average big league upside from Sawinski as a left-handed hitting outfielder with athleticism. He popped exit velos above 110 on numerous occasions. Topped out at 114 which puts him in the top 10% and max exit velo. That's really impressive for somebody that wasn't really on many radars. The Padres may have seen it as selling high on Sawinski, but I really think they sold at what his value is going to be. I'm very encouraged by what I've seen from him. I like his swing. He does tend to get a bit pull happy, and that's important to watch. He does have that plus power pull side. It's not really uh, translating to all fields yet right now, but still was able to have success despite a high pull rate in double A. I want to see that continue to improve. I think he's capable. He has the body control to be able to drive the ball to all fields. He seemed like he was just trying to produce more in the power department last year as a guy that really was 
trying to build up what was his value and kind of figure out what kind of hitter he was. He did not quite have the consistency bat to ball wise in the years prior, really showed that this year. And I think he started to find that consistency through hunting middle in pitches. But as he gets up to the big leagues, potentially in AAA, he's going to see less pitches middle in and he can't just be yanking everything. So that's something worth watching. But the walk rate is super encouraging to me. I'm not worried about an upper 20% K rate because he's sustained it throughout his entire professional career. And I love the athleticism as well and ability to play all three spots. So this is important because when we look at the trade that they subsequently made the Padres to now flip Frazier to the Mariners, the package that they got was a lesser version of that. They go get Ray Kerr, who is a reliever that I actually like that acquisition by the Padres because I really think they're betting on Kerr being able to slide right into their bullpen at some point this year, if not at the beginning of the season, at some point this year. He had really good numbers uh, through double A and triple A. You combine the two. He had a 318 ERA in 36 appearances, 39 and two thirds innings. He struck out 60, 6 0. In double A, 43 Ks in 28 and two thirds. And then in triple A, 17 Ks in 11 innings. Only 16 walks in the 39.2 innings or 39 and two thirds innings. This guy's got closer stuff. I'll get into the stuff in a second, but clearly can get the swings and misses. While he may not have the prospect value as a 27-year-old that some of the other players that they gave up in that deal with the Pirates initially, he is somebody that can help them next year. And let's be real, AJ Preller is looking at this year. He's looking at winning over the next year or two. He has control, Ray Kerr does, and could be a cheap high upside option in the back of their bullpen. The fastball can hit triple digits, sits in the upper 90s with life. Opponents just really struggled against it, period. They did not square it up. He did not give up a single home run on that pitch, gave up very few extra base hits. I was really impressed with the life on the fastball. Then he has an elite breaking ball in the mid 80s that was just a problem for hitters. Just plain and simple was a problem for hitters. They had a 222 OPS against that pitch, despite the fact that he threw it about a third of the time. Also mixed in a changeup as well. That changeup needs some work. And, you know, he's just not as comfortable throwing that pitch as much. But with the fastball breaking ball combination, it's more of like a slurvy breaking ball he could be a back-end, nasty back-end of the rotation type of arm. So I'm a big fan of getting this guy in the deal. If you know that you're not going to get the prospect value that you gave up to get Adam Frazier, then go get somebody that's going to help your team next year. Ray Kerr is exactly that guy, and I'm a big fan of the move. He also mixes in a cutter that is effective and gets in on the hands of right-handed hitters. I mean, when you're a lefty, 6'3", 185, great athlete, by the way, because he played outfield and first base in college. He's got the athleticism. He is electric on the mound, has now just focused on exclusively pitching in professional baseball. And it has taken some time for him to develop since 2017 when he was signed as a free agent, undrafted free agent. So pretty crazy to see his story and as he's climbed and really put it together over the last couple years, was great in the Arizona Fall League in 2019, didn't have a chance to follow that momentum in 2020, but showed that he had continued that into 2021. Great pickup. 
good left-handed option in the back end of the bullpen for the Padres, and they're able to maximize value in a way that translates more into big league success, and I think that's what they're more focused on anyways. Could they have gotten better players if they never traded for Adam Frazier with the package that they gave up for Adam Frazier? Sure, but if you're going to make a mistake, this is a good way to compensate a little bit for it and hedge that mistake, and Ray Kerr is intriguing. I will also say, the other guy in the deal is not a slouch himself, and it's Corey Rozier. He's not nearly as exciting to me as Jack Sawinski, but he is not a slouch at all. I think he's more of a fourth outfielder type, but has a good shot at potentially being an average outfielder at the big league level. He's got great bat-to-ball skills. He absolutely pulverized low-A pitching last year in 31 games. He was a 12th round pick this year out of University of North Carolina Greensboro after being a Chipola Juco Bandit, one of the more exciting junior colleges around that has produced so much, so much big league talent. Just to name a few, Jose Bautista, Patrick Corbin, Tyler Flowers, Matt Gamble. Russell Martin. There's been a lot of guys that come out of that junior college and just junior colleges, period, in Florida. I mean, junior college talent in Florida is ridiculous, but he ended up going to Greensboro instead of going to the draft and had a great, great year there and now ends up getting drafted in the 12th round. He showed his polish and just how good he is after hitting 12 home runs, by the way. There's sneaky power there, especially to the pole side. Hit 12 home runs at UNC. UNC Greensboro, over 1,000 OPS. He swiped 17 bags as well, has above average speed, can play all outfield spots. If he can stick in center, then I think that there is a very good chance that he could be an average regular if the bat continues to translate. He has a really simple swing, good bat to ball skills, quick bat, especially to the pull side where I think he can hit 10 to 15 home runs, but can spray the ball all over the field. I think that's going to be more of his approach. And again, if the defense really translates in center, then you've got an interesting piece here. What he did to low A pitching should be criminal uh, this past year in Modesto, where in 31 games, he hit 390, 461, 585. Obviously, was just way too advanced for that level. Didn't get to see him in high A. That would have been a good test. So I'm not going to say that this guy is you know somebody on the radar for being a top 100 prospect or anything like that because college guys should tear up low A pitching. But this wasn't your traditional college guy because he was a Juco player, because we only saw one year of him at what was more of a mid-major, though a good mid-major school in UNC Greensboro. But to do what he did in 31 games in low A, He's on my radar. He hit three home runs in the 31 games. I think that's kind of on par with what we can expect. Stole 13 bags. He's somebody that's going to do a little bit of everything. He's not going to strike out much at all. And we saw that 20 Ks against 18 walks in those 141 plate appearances. High floor guy who has a very good shot. Very, very good shot at being a fourth outfielder. So if you end up getting a fourth outfielder and a potentially really exciting swing and miss lefty in the back end of your bullpen, that's not such a bad pickup after how bad Adam Frazier was for you. And given the fact that they really didn't feel like they needed him anymore, did the Padres and wanted to go flip him. They're looking at 
what was probably the safest return to salvage what they gave up. You know, they could have easily gone for some high upside lottery tickets potentially that I think the Mariners would have been okay with giving up. But instead, the Mariners have so much pitching and so many guys that could probably slide into their bullpen already made some additions to their bullpen. And they definitely don't need another outfield prospect. I don't think that they're going to worry much about Corey Rozier. It makes sense for both sides. And Rozier is a guy that will undoubtedly, uh, for me at least, slide into probably the top 25 or better prospects in the Padre system. I think it says a little bit about how much the Padre system is, is dropped off a little bit, but I also do like Rozier as an interesting guy to follow, as is Ray Kerr. So I wanted to break down that return because I thought it was interesting. You rarely see a player get traded for and then traded again away. I also realized I didn't quite mention Mitchell Milano, who was initially traded from the Padres to the Pirates in the first edition of the Adam Frazier deal. He's got freakish stuff. I mean, absolute freakish stuff, but he can't really control it. So it's kind of fascinating that the Padres gave up Mitchell Milano, who is somebody that I think they were hoping to progress into that back end reliever type because he can hit triple digits. He struck out 82 in 50 innings, but he also walked 51 in 50 innings. So they swapped that guy out earlier and end up getting now somebody that's more advanced. Uh, yes, he's about five years older, but he's more advanced and can help them out of the bullpen this year, this coming year. And, and that's why I think overall he did a good job, did AJ Prowler, in salvaging what was a bit of a mistake of a deal in trading for Frazier in the first place. I'm going to talk a little bit about which big name prospects could potentially be on the move. And obviously this is mostly speculation, a little bit of what I'm hearing in terms of what teams could be making some massive moves in the trade department ahead of the CBA expiration. That's coming up in a second. Before I get there, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Direct TV Stream. Let me know if this sounds familiar. You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, or then you're watching your sports highlights on your phone. You've got your neighbor's best friend's login for another streaming platform. Well, I want to tell you about a much easier way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle. And it's called Direct TV Stream, and it's the best way to finally get your TV together. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device Ever again, and the best part is there's no annual contract. You can get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. Learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. Also brought to you by Built Bar. It's Cyber Monday, and Built Bar has a new Built Bar flavor just in time for the holiday. Caramel Almond Delight is the new flavor that's available at Built.com, and you can get everything, every single thing for 20% off, everything delicious and healthy. That's 20% off site-wide, even bigger discounts on Built Boost, Broth, and Built Swag all over the website, but Back to the Caramel Almond Delight. They have caramelized chocolate as well, almonds in it. They've got everything you could want in that bar, and it's only 150 calories, 17 grams of protein. And this season, maybe you're craving white chocolate for a limited time. We can get you a special Built Bar Puffs flavor when you go over to the website, and it's white chocolate cheesecake, the yummy protein treat filled with marshmallowy center, covered in chocolate, only 140 calories, 17 grams of protein, but it tastes like a dessert. What else could you want? If you get to Built.com for these incredible tasting new bars and 20% off of everything, all you have to do is use the promo code LOCK20, LOCKED20. 
for 20% off at Built.com. That's Lock20, Lock20 for 20% off some of these new bars and everything else over at Built.com. So let's talk about some big name prospects who I think could be on the move. And one team that I'm hearing just more and more rumblings about making a potential big time splash trade over the next 24 to 48 before the CBA expiration is actually the Miami Marlins. Uh, The Miami Marlins, they went out and signed Avisael Garcia. They're rumored to be in on some other players as well. I'm not one to really believe that the Marlins are going to spend major money, but if they have one thing, it's a ton of prospect capital and a ton of young pitching that I think many teams will be lining up for. I know that some people think, okay, yeah, Cedric Mullins may be off the market, uh, maybe Cattell Marte may be too steep, but from what I'm hearing, there's a lot of teams with good players that are willing to listen, and Cedric Mullins, will, while he will be very steep of a price, I think that there's some traction there. You can imagine what a package would look like for a Cedric Mullins. And when you look at Baltimore's situation, they could use some more pitching. I assume Max Meyer is a starting point there. And seeing Max Meyer on the move would be pretty crazy, but I don't think that it's something the Marlins are afraid to do. I think every prospect for the Marlins is on the table. And Max Meyer was somebody that the Marlins were kicking the tires on moving for Brandon Marsh, which I thought would have been a great trade for both sides. Meyer, pretty close to big league ready, kind of fits the Orioles' timeline. Cedric Mullins coming off of a fantastic season. And something important about Cedric Mullins is people are like, oh yeah, he had one big year uh, and we're going to see somebody buy high on him. It's not really the case. There's a reason why the Orioles are hesitant to move him. He stopped switch hitting. And I talk about this a lot. I was talking about this with Oswaldo Cabrera of the Yankees system, somebody that really struggles from the right side. If your swing in production is just dramatically worse from one side, it gets to the point where you got to think, is it worth it to switch hit? And for Mullins, he decided it wasn't. And he focused on one side and it really allowed him to take his game to the next level and to unlock a lot more with that left-handed swing. We saw what he was able to do. He's an incredible defender in center field. I'm fully sold on the Cedric Mullins production, and I think that he is going to be an all-star in this game for years to come. The Marlins would have to give up more than just Max Meyer, and that's where things get interesting because I think the Marlins would be okay with giving up more, but they're also going to want to get more. I think they could go get Cole Solcer, one of the relievers, of course, mostly their closer by the end of the season there, and that could be another piece too. I'm expecting the Marlins to be okay with trading a Max Meyer. I would even think that Khalil Watson could be on the table as well. I mean, the Marlins like Khalil Watson a lot, uh, but there's obviously a reason why he slid a little bit in the draft, and it doesn't really have to do with anything that he does on the field or doesn't do on the field. Not to say that he is a bad kid, but there are some maturation questions that I think scared some teams off for relative to where he was expected to be selected. I mean, I had him going top five in my mock draft and his talent is indicative of that. But if a team wants to get maximum value here, if you're getting Max Meyer and Khalil Watson in a package, I mean, that is big time. And the Marlins, I don't know if they would trade both of those guys, but one of the two would be the headliner. And remember, they have a ton of complimentary pieces that they could deal as well. Uh, And I'm expecting the Marlins to be okay with putting together a package like that. Cameron Meisner, JJ Bleday, I think really helped uh, boost his stock. I don't expect the Marlins to trade Bleday. I think that they value him higher than any team does, and they're more sold on the Arizona Fall League performance than other teams. Uh, But I could see a Meisner going, a Burdick going, one of those guys going, especially after the signing 
of Avi Garcia. When I look at another NL East team that could make a trade, how about the Mets? And again, I would talk about all of these signings, but I figure you come here for the prospect stuff. So if you want to hear me talk more about all of the free agent signings, definitely go check out the Just Baseball show where I go deep into all of the signings, major signings from last night and yesterday and what those kind of mean for every team and what it means moving forward here in the final days of the CBA. I also have some articles up on that. I already do have one article talking about a lot of these uh, moves and a lot of these signings over at JustBaseball.com. But when we look at the Mets situation, clearly they're not afraid to spend. I mean, they go out and they spend for Starling Marte. They go out and they spend for Mark Canna, who I think is one of the more underrated players in baseball. Now they go get Max Scherzer. So they have spent, spent, spent. We knew that Steve Cohen was going to do that, and he's okay with that. So if you're willing to spend, if you have the money, it's different than the Marlins situation, right? Like the Marlins are okay with spending a little bit of money which is good. We're seeing them start to do something uh, in that department. But if the Marlins have an opportunity to get an all-star via trade versus with control via trade versus free agency, they're going to do the former because it saves them a ton of money. Um, For the Mets, maybe they want to stash their prospects. But what's interesting to me is that the team has a little bit of a conundrum between Mark Vientos and Brett Beatty. Both are third basemen, and we saw more of Vientos playing the outfield. So if the Mets see Vientos as an outfielder long-term, then I could see them really holding on to everybody. Francisco Alvarez is untouchable, of course, and you look at the landscape here, maybe they see Vientos as that slugging outfielder type long-term. He's close to big league ready. I mean, the guy was up at AAA by the end of the season. Beatty showed a lot of good things. I think he's further behind still. So that's an important note, too. If Vientos is closer to big league ready, maybe we see him audition a little bit at third and get some ABs in the outfield. But the outfield's pretty full now, at least for the next couple seasons. And I think that if we're going to see one of the two traded, it's going to be Vientos as he is less likely to stick at third base doesn't move quite as well. And Brett Beatty's the left-handed hitting bat that I think just has a little bit more of the all-around upside, but I'm a believer in Viento's bat as much as any in, in baseball in terms of the power projection and his ability to just pulverize fastballs. Uh, he's going to make it work. He catches up to Velo. He recognized spin as well as ever last year. So if the Mets don't want to part with him... I could see them starting him in AAA and seeing how the defense is at third base and then seeing how that progresses because the outfield's pretty full and that's the interesting spot here. But remember, the Mets also got a comp pick back for Conforto. They're stockpiling picks in this upcoming draft because they didn't sign Kumar Rocker. They've got several, several picks in the first couple rounds potentially through the comps and through everything else. So I really could see them being okay with trading away from their prospects. Their system has gotten a lot stronger as of late. And that's another team that I'm expecting to make some sort of move. I could see it be more for a reliever, um, maybe a really established back end reliever, maybe a Josh Hader type. I could see them potentially go and give up something big for Josh Hader. But do the Brewers want to trade Josh Hader to a team that they could be competing for the wild card with? That's a big question. Maybe Hater isn't available. Maybe Emmanuel Classe could be uh, gotten. Maybe James Karinchak in a buy low situation. But all this to say, I expect the if the Mets are going to make a big deal, I would expect them. And of course, Vientos will get you much more than a James Karinchak and some of those other guys that I was mentioning. But I expect them to trade front, trade Vientos if they're going to trade somebody, though. 
I would be jumping at the opportunity to get Vientos as a prospect, uh, assuming that the Mets are just going to have to deal him because they want to hold on to Beatty more so. And I think it's closer between those two guys than a lot of people think. Another team I absolutely expect to make a trade is the New York Yankees. I've talked about them a little bit in the past and about what a package could look like for Matt Olson, maybe some other deals. I know how much the Yankees value Anthony Volpe. And from what I've heard, I mean, they're looking at him as a franchise cornerstone moving forward. If that's the case, and I think that's very fair given how good Volpe is and how much I've talked about him over the last couple of weeks anyways. So you know where I stand on him. This is probably a situation where we see them more likely to deal. I just think that it's going to be most likely that we see Oswald Peraza go. Peraza's got a ton of value as a high floor, great glove really broke out offensively. Peraza paired with some of the other high volatile arms. You know, you look at the volatility of a Luis Heel. I think I'd rather keep him over a lot of these other guys, but Luis Medina, incredibly volatile, as I've talked about in the past. I would look to trade him in a package as well. Uh, Davey Garcia, Clark Schmidt, all of those arms are highly volatile, and I think you got to be okay with dealing one of them. I wouldn't want to trade Ken Waldachuk. I think he can help you next year, and some of the other pitchers that I've talked about that could help them in this coming season that I really like. So I expect than the trade Peraza. I think he's one of the most likely prospects to go. And then one of those arms that are highly volatile as well. What are the Yankees going to look for? That'll be interesting. I think that they obviously are well in on Matt Olson. They could make a myriad of moves, potentially a center fielder as well. Could Cattell Marte be a target? Uh, that's another one for the Marlins that I think could make sense too. Uh, Cattell Marte could make a lot of sense for this Yankees team who could use a center fielder out there. And Marte, I mean, his bat would play up big time in New York. And you could probably get Marte for what is a package of Peraza and then Medina and something else uh, as part of a larger deal. And let's be real, the D-backs could really use a shortstop at this point. They've got great outfield prospects. I love Alec Thomas, who I think is big league ready next year. I love what they've got in Corbin Carroll, who I think is going to be a superstar. But they need infield prospects. And I think that that would be a perfect match made, though I would rather see Cattell Marte somewhere else other than New York. That is a match made in heaven right there. So I'll be talking about the returns and the packages as they happen. Of course, I cannot wait to break down in depth all of these big trade packages as we get through the final days here of this CBA. And then once we hopefully don't have much of a lockout and can see more moves on the other side as well, I will always be breaking down those packages. And I'm really excited to do that as we move forward here over the next couple days and the final days of this CBA. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you to those who take the time to leave a rating as it helps me immensely in growing this podcast. And I look forward to talking prospects with you tomorrow.